Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. Transgender is a made-up term. It's a marketing term for selling drugs and surgeries to vulnerable people, mostly gay people, and confused kids and their well-meaning parents. That was the voice of Belissa Cohen. She is an LGB activist, journalist, and commentator. She focuses on raising awareness about the negative impacts that transgenderist ideology and the promotion of synthetic sex identities are having on same-sex attracted and non-conforming people, as well as on women, children, and parents. And I'll be right back with my conversation with Belissa after this short word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you no matter what to please share the link far and wide. Now let's get back to the show. And I'm back with Belissa Cohen. Belissa, welcome to Post Woke. Well, thank you, Mickey. I'm really excited to discuss this topic today with you. I'm excited to hear your expertise and your all your experience in this. And to to sort of introduce how I was introduced to this topic and then get out of the way, let you do your thing. Let me say that I I living in New York and being a, a lefty of sorts, I was aware of the trans movement, but it wasn't until I connected with Occupy Wall Street in 2001, and I would see signs up in the park that said, queering the occupation, and I began to realize how pervasive trans ideology was on the so-called left, and it confused me because it felt like gaslighting to be literally required to believe that men could magically transform into women and vice versa. I felt like I was being asked, in fact, I was being asked to deny reality in the name of so-called social justice. And I ended up marching in the 2012 Pride Parade with Occupy as an ally. And there was a male occupier who claimed to be a woman who befriended me because he wanted to give me his side of this schism that happened right before the the uh, parade. And I didn't totally grasp it yet, but it was an internal struggle between the T and the LGB. And I, I marched and, and enjoyed myself. But within a year, the guy who befriended me made a public show of unfriending me when I accidentally used what he called the wrong pronoun. And I sort of floundered for a couple of years. And then I woke up, I would say, 
when the Bruce Jenner news broke in 2015. And shortly after that, Adolf Reed wrote an eye-opening article comparing Jenner to Rachel Dolezal. And I began to put the pieces together and feel like this is what they call peak trance. I took off the blinders. I said, the foundation of this ideology is an assault on the truth. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show because you could help others break free of the delusions much quicker than I did. And so in the name of that, I'm going to begin with this prompt um, by asking you, what does it mean when you say there's no such thing as a transgender person? And why do you emphasize so strongly that the T of LGBT, et cetera, is trying to erase and co-opt and kind of just push out of the picture the LGB? Well, Mickey, there's so much to unpack there. So I don't think I could answer that whole um, all those issues in <laughs> one sentence. But first, I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to say, Mickey, what do you mean by transgender? What do I mean by transgender? Yeah. When you use that word, what do you, what do, I don't think everybody knows what that even means. I would say that my use of the word was something that was imposed on me when I was a very active activist where you, it's not just this issue on several issues. If you don't use the correct uh, language in the eyes of the, the woke cogs, cognoscenti, you, you can get canceled. And so I adopted a word like that um, I have to admit without really much an analysis. And it wasn't until I began to um, interact with radical feminists and go back and read like Andrea Dworkin and Mary Daly and began to realize that that transgender is a made up term. And so I guess I kind of answered my own question there, but I'm wondering how many people listening cringe when you hear me say out loud transgender is a made up term. And I know you're the one who could add the context in to take away the cringe. Well, I'm not sure I can take away the cringe, but I can say that congratulations to you for seeing through the propaganda. Um, transgender is a made-up term. It's a marketing term for selling drugs and surgeries to vulnerable people, mostly gay people, and confused kids and their well-meaning parents. And um, uh, I don't know if most people even know what they're saying when they use the term transgender. It's a term we use without unpacking it. Mm. Um, the trans, according to Stonewall UK, which is the main organization in the UK that represents so-called LGBTQ people is an umbrella term for not only people who have opposite sex ideation, but for cross-dressers and for people who think that they have no sex at all and mm -hmm. a lot of other kinds of people. You can look that up on the Stonewall UK website. And um, so it's, it's a little bit, I find, kind of a meaningless term that basically represents the idea that you should believe unquestioningly what somebody 
feels about themselves without without acknowledging any kind of material reality. Okay, I, I've heard you. I've heard you compare it to somebody who might be going through some type of mental issue, and and um, I think of it as also like say someone that tells you like, no, I'm not an alcoholic, but you know they're an alcoholic and you're expected to quote unquote enable them. And I feel like that's what so many of us have been doing of the trans um, movement for lack of a better phrase. Well, yeah, like if, if you, Mickey, tell me that you're Jesus or Napoleon or a dump truck or a cat, do I say, oh, Mickey meow or um, hello, Jesus. It's been, how's the cross today? How are your wounds? Like, do we do that to people who think things that are clearly not based in reality? Whereas if somebody thinks that they're the opposite sex or no sex at all, do we just automatically agree with this deeply held belief that they have regardless of what we see with our eyes hear with our ears and kind of you know evolutionarily understand that um this is not any true reality so what I, what's interesting is to answer that question from my particularly living in new york city i'd say a fair amount of people in not the dump truck part, but in the in the having no sex at all or being the opposite sex, so a fair amount of people do enable it, and um, they'll come up with. They may be very well-meaning people because they'll they'll go they'll use LGB phrases like "love is love," and to to be like, "I respect everybody. I mind my own business." But I know from listening to to you on podcasts that that this isn't as simple as just acceptance that the trans agenda and ideology is actively impacting the LGB agenda and ideology in a very negative way. Well, definitely. And the idea that love is love has anything to do with people taking drugs to destroy their body from the inside out and removing body parts and mutilating other body parts is is absolutely ludicrous what does that have to do with love i mean it's really a, a an adventure in marketing this one <laughs> but the one thing that i i do want to talk about is um how the lgb came to be associated with the t and why that just doesn't make any sense because one of these things is not like the other People who are lesbian, gay, or bisexual are grouped together because that's same-sex attraction. Heterosexuals are opposite-sex attraction. Those three categories include same-sex attraction. The T has nothing to do with same-sex attraction. It has to do with thinking that you're in the wrong body, thinking that your deeply held belief about yourself is different than than all the DNA of your cells, a lot of things, but nothing to do with your sexual orientation. So what happened is after, I would say after AIDS kind of resolved, they had uh, big pharma, big med had medicalized the 
gay male community to a great extent. And um, that big pharma money had a, a big acceptance and um, influence over the gay community. All the ads in the gay publications were for the drugs they were marketing to gay people, for gay men, for um, issues of HIV and AIDS. And when that kind of got resolved, just like corporate capitalism does, and it's just an objective thing, they opened new markets. And they looked at the market, the gay market, the lesbian market. What can we do? How can, what can we do? What can we sell these people? How can we monetize this population? And I, I think that it was very clear that they looked and saw that there's a great amount of both internalized homophobia, the shame and um, the shame about same-sex attraction, and and then the the external homophobia, which is from the outside community of you know you know not even not hate but discomfort with gay mm -hmm. people and same-sex attracted people, and they brought in this idea that you could be the opposite sex and that um, people that are that want to be the opposite sex are just like gay people and they force team the T with the LGB. And in that way, they cut the kind of Trojan horse, the LGB community and piggybacked on the movement for gay and lesbian rights, which had been really successful and garnered a lot of goodwill. And then, you know, marriage equality passed and the sky didn't fall in and everybody was, it was kind of going pretty swimmingly. And the T really just force teamed themselves with the LGB and took over the organizations that had been founded by and for gay people like Human Rights Commission and GLAD and GLSEN, and there's so many in the U.S., and um, refocused those organizations into working almost primarily for the rights of these people with opposite sex ideation, what is called transgender people, which is, I don't even know, just, I don't even use that term. So, um, and that created foot soldiers among LGB people who are the most virulent people saying we have to support and promote these bad ideas. So that is why it seems to, the call seems to be coming from inside the house. Like LGB mm. people are being, our movement is being cannibalized by these people that we were told to embrace and embraced. I could go on with details. I could tell you more, but that's basically i don't remember even the question no i don't remember the exact question but i feel <laughs> like you answered it and you provoked a, um, a thought and a question when you initially described this that that um how big farmer and capitalism in general all of a sudden like oh look at this market what else can we send them the way you described it it sounded like a form of conversion therapy where oh are you unhappy being gay well you can be the opposite sex and then you're not gay anymore which not that long ago was something that the the like it was a version of the like conversion therapy it's like you, you gay isn't good so let's 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 op, let's medicalize the gay out of you and it it's just it's, it's very odd which leads into the question is 
this seems maybe it's maybe it's because I'm dealing in retrospect. It seems obvious that this doesn't jive with LGB. But why do you suppose that so many LGB folks willingly became the foot soldiers that you described? Well, first, I want to address what you were saying about conversion therapy. So conversion therapy used to be the psychological coercion of same-sex attracted people to change their their belief their mind their beliefs to suit their body to fit a stereotype i.e if you had a female body and you were attracted to women you needed to change your mind to be attracted to men to suit your your a heterosexual stereotype so it would all align but that kind of fell into disfavor and that got outlawed and nobody believes that works anymore. But here comes this much more insidious idea of physiological conversion therapy, where if you're a woman who is attracted to other women, then it's, you can't change your mind. We proved that doesn't work. So now we're going to body so that wow. you can, like role play a straight man, a heterosexual man who's attracted to women. So we're going to change your body to suit this heterosexual stereotype. And you can take all these drugs and you can lop off parts of your body and, you know, do all this stuff and add some maybe. And then you will be able to blend into straight society. And we, I call it putting yourself into a medical closet of your own body. So you're wow. living in a closet. You're what we call um, straight in the streets, gay in the sheets, because you're still having homosexual sex, no matter, you still have the same genitals. And um, it's transing the gay away. So here you are, let's say you're a man, you're a gay, effeminate gay man, which is, you know, you were bullied as a little boy and everybody told you you were girly. Well, you know, you can claim the identity of a heterosexual woman and then it's very no homo. If you have some man, you know, you don't, you know, it's their whole thing is very no homo. If you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, thank you for that. Because the way you just articulated it is it's, it's difficult for me to imagine anyone having a rational, keyword rational, retort to that, and, as opposed to someone then going into feelings, what I feel, and and identities. But um, yeah, so it's it's instead of converting the mind, you convert the body, and the phrases you're transing the gay away. But as you're pointing out, no, you remain homosexual. It, it, just because, um, as, as you sometimes say, you're LARPing as the opposite sex doesn't mean that you're not you, you're not still you. And I could imagine that leads to a lot of psychological damage in terms of like, of the, the, making the choice to sort of try and um, disguise yourself as someone else, just to satisfy society's perception of your sexual orientation. And not that I don't even know what is society satisfied anyway by that, but it's a very confusing choice all around. But obviously the people coercing you into that have an agenda and are making a ton of money. Well, wait a second. Also, you have to point out that by the forced teaming of the T with the LGB and creating these foot soldiers of LGB people who are very 
like uh, celebrating these these synthetic sex identities they have made it so that that lgb people think that it's a privilege and they've chosen this body mutilation to to fit into society as straight people like like it's it's a wonderful choice and it's theirs and and don't don't you tell me that it's a bad idea to you know to wreck your body to conform and we're not conforming and all this stuff so wow and well that leads me to ask you um I mentioned a little bit about about my journey to this point, but when in your life do you feel like you more most clearly identified the trans agenda for what it is and decided to to point out basically everything you just said and so much more that you write and speak about? Well, like pretty much almost everybody else, I was not, I kind of tried to go along with it. I had inklings here and there, but I had friends and acquaintances who like, like accepted these bad ideas more than me, or um, I knew people that had medicalized and I, you know, tried, I, you know, investigated that, you know, talked to them a lot. I, um, I also wasn't didn't go on Twitter for the first many years because I knew that I would say something like the wrong thing and get canceled. So I mm. was very aware that maybe I wasn't a hundred percent on board. I watched I Am Jazz from the very beginning, thinking, well, maybe, maybe these kids, um, you know, whatever. Maybe I saw the Barbara Walters special. I was always very interested in this whole topic. I have one of those women's studies degrees from UC Berkeley that, you know, I've always been very interested in this topic of, of sex-based stereotypes and um, gay issues and all this stuff. So, um, and then I guess I, I was seeing it so much around and it was, I was starting to question it more. I can't, really remember but I went online and I saw Jermaine Greer's comments and she's been vilified and then there's this woman named Magdalene Burns B-E-R-N-S in the UK who's a lesbian who started making videos about this and that was it that was it for me I saw somebody who deconstructed it in a way that made sense for me and since then I've been a hundred percent involved in research and reading everything, watching everything, listening to everybody speak on this. I listen to both sides. I don't, you know, I'm curious about, about pro and con. And I, you know, now it's, it, it is what I do because I really see that there aren't enough LGB voices speaking up everybody's in fear i don't have a job to lose people are losing jobs and losing their social groups and even getting death threats so i'm okay i'm doing i can do this yeah uh, absolutely and and i appreciate how you do that i'm going to put in the show notes a link to your twitter account so people could check out some of the work you're doing and and you mentioned the death threats and off air, you were telling me how you wanted to refer to um, 
a website called Turf is a Slur. And I know that there's a side, like, well, let me back up for a second. When you were pointing out how you come out of UC Berkeley and a certain mindset, there's a, there is a kind of logic to, because I'm coming out of New York with, with, this, with this lefty activist mindset. So in either case, there's this logic that if someone is different, therefore an outcast, then you as a lefty and a progressive person want to be um, supportive of them. And the this agenda is so insidious and so manipulative that it plays off of that. And I've, I've lost countless friends of, maybe you would call them even comrades or people that I marched with or did a variety of activist ac activities with because of this stance. Now, I get some grief, but I know that women get it far more. And that there's a side to the trans ideology that they play it off as the victims and and that all you ever hear about is the victimization but there's a whole other side on sites like turf is a slur in which you see men um doing what a lot of men do being aggressive being violent being threatening and i'm wondering your basic thoughts on that and have how do, how do you feel i'm sure you've heard some terrible things hurled in your direction yeah but you know i don't I don't even care. It's just funny to me. It's comedy gold. But, you know, I just want to say that I'm third generation radical left. My family arrived in New York in the the 20s, I guess, maybe the teens and and just immediately joined the left. So we're third generation. And um, I don't know, I feel like the left has left me. They've left common sense. So Likewise. I haven't changed. I still question everything. I grew up in a, you know, I I come out of a, a, a culture where it was question authority. So I don't see, I don't, I don't call myself a conservative because that would be ridiculous if you guys ever see what I look like. And, um, so I'm still questioning authority. Everybody else has decided that left left wing authoritarianism is the way to go. So um, anyway, so the thing about these men who is like you, most of them are white are white men, but men of all colors. I don't like to racialize anything, but I just throw that out there. I don't anymore racialize things because I think that's a mistake the left is making. But um, these men are, let's say, at the top of the food chain. And as soon as they claim a female identity, they immediately become the most oppressed. And they become this sacred caste, this sacred caste of people who cannot be questioned, cannot um you cannot just say anything about them. They have they're, they're, they can trample on everyone's rights and nothing. They cannot just be questioned at all or 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 criticized, and um, that's ridiculous. And so the idea that as soon as somebody declares themselves mar marginalized, I have to one hundred percent support and agree with that. Well, that's ridiculous. So um, the thing about Men, these men who claim a female identity is that they may claim that, but they're, they still offend criminally at exactly the same rates as men who don't claim a female identity. They are essentially, and I will link you to the article, way safer physically 
than either men who don't claim a female identity or actual women. It it's somehow makes you safe in life to declare a female identity, no matter what kind of medicalization you do or anything. The deaths of people who claim, men who claim a female identity are mostly in Brazil and it's men who prostitute themselves or are prostituted. And it's not in the US, it's not in Western Europe, it's not anywhere like that. It's extremely exaggerated and made up. And this whole marginalization narrative is not based in reality. Yeah, I appreciate all of that. And I just love the way you said that's ridiculous. Um, and I was going to ask you if we had time, but we're getting to it now, is because is from my research, I have a hard time finding evidence beyond the claims of, of the murder rate of men pretending to be women. And the, 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 rare, the cases that I find dovetail with what you're talking about, where someone that's been prostituted or prostituted themselves, and not that not that they deserve any violence rain down on them, but it's a very unique and specific situation that requires that context, as opposed to say that someone who claim a man who claims to be a woman is at danger of being literally under constant attack, just walking down the street, which is the way it seems to be presented. And then it builds up that human rights vibe, that, that, um, that, that sympathy for people and then good people want to help if they can. And they, and um, you've, you've spoken a lot about this. They try their best to be polite in doing things like using their pronouns, their new names and their identities, which from my perspective only um, prolongs the deception. And you've, I've heard you say that there's a difference between being polite and being kind. So having laid out that context, could you, um, Explain what that means. Perhaps someone listening who's like, who doesn't know how to confront or stand up to this ideology because they're afraid, never mind the cancelization, they're, they're afraid that they'll look like they're callous, uncaring human beings because the trans population is under constant assault. And you're saying, no, there's a difference between politeness and kindness. Well, I think people. I wouldn't even use the word polite because I don't know, like people think they're being polite to be kind. I think those words are connected. And what I say about being kind is that it's extremely unkind to support somebody's harmful delusion to themselves. And I love the phrase that a bitter truth is kinder than a sweet lie because we're harming people when we encourage them with our politeness and our kindness to go proceed down a path that is leading to the destruction of their body. Not any other thing, there could be other things that are bad, but the destruction of their body from the inside out with wrong sex hormones, which are extremely destructive, and also to body mutilation, the amputation of breasts, the um, mutilation of the penis, the um, men getting breast implants, um, 
men get a lot of this facial feminization surgery, which is like any surgery, there are complications. The The genital surgeries have, I hear, 85% complications, which nobody talks about. I think it would be kinder to people to base them in reality, just say like, you know, it's, you know, wear what you want and um, have whatever life you want. But really, you know, it's not really true that you're the opposite sex. And and please don't pursue that course of, of behavior because it's, it is going to harm you. So anyway, when we're kind and when we say, oh, she for a man, when we use male language for a female or female language for a man, that is just making them think that, oh, this is working for me. I like everybody accepts this. I better continue. I better not like back off on this because I'll look really stupid and people will laugh at me for changing my mind. And so you make it harder for people to desist or wow. detransition. And you're basically affirming that they better not like come to reality and they better not wake up and they better not try to improve their health and their mental and physical health because you're, you're so invested in their delusion. Wow. I have to confess that I had never, ever conceptualized of that last part that you said, where I could probably, if the roles were reversed and I was a guest on your show and you asked me, why would I call a man who thinks he's a woman, he, I would have given a long answer that I would have felt good about, but I wouldn't have thought of what you just said, where you are almost painting them into a corner and they're already obviously in a fragile place. And what you want to do is in in a caring and, and compassionate way is give them the space to question and grow and evolve perhaps out of this. And I'm curious now that you've brought this up, have you been in situations where you've been able to have this type of very um, direct, blunt um, conversation with someone who claims to be the opposite sex? I have. I did have a friend and I had these conversations, but that was before I got involved in this. I spent a lot of time around a man who claimed a female identity. And in the beginning I was like, well, whatever. And then the more I got to know him, I would be like, you're, you're a man, you're a man. And that's just in, he didn't, he stopped saying anything. I think because he, he knew, but you know, it was just like, that was a while ago. So since then, um, I have, because of, you know, the shutdown and everything is there aren't that many gatherings. And um, so I've been going to some protests and demonstrations and I correctly sex people there and I watch the looks on their faces. And it's pretty interesting because they act like it's the most shocking thing in the world that I would correctly sex a man or correctly sex a woman. Like that we've gotten to this place where like I'm outrageous for saying what everybody can see. Like there's a, sometimes there's a very extreme reaction and sometimes you just see it in their eyes and, you know, it's just, it's very, it's very uh, theatrical usually. 
Yeah, there's a very performative nature to this. And, yeah. and as you said, it's, 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 if you just allow yourself a little bit of distance, it is so clearly the emperor has no clothes. I mean, you're, you're looking at somebody and there should be no shock if you use the correct pronouns. Um, all right, so um, doing a little but time check. I do check. want to say one more thing okay, about, about being polite and being kind. You also have to think about all the people around you, including children who are listening to you when you're talking because you know children are always listening and and if you're if you're using female language for men and and contributing to these fictions you're making it much more difficult for the people around you to also be clear and and tell the truth so you're you're making it harder for other people, you're just you're going along with this whole emperor's new clothes thing, where everybody in the village is like, "Oh, look at his great new outfit." But then, what are you teaching children? Like children, it's really important for them to um, trust their perceptions and be able to make decisions based on reality. Like if I was told when I was a little kid, like if you're in trouble or you're lost, find a woman. Like you know. I think we were all taught that. Find a woman. Now, if you're going to teach somebody, well, find somebody in a dress. You're going to, how are you going yeah. to teach little kids? Like how you have to teach them what are female characteristics and what are male characteristics biologically in order to keep them safe. You can't say, well, somebody with breasts, find somebody with breasts or find somebody in high heels or find somebody, you know, you're going to have to teach them what women, what, you know, even a woman with facial hair looks like, or, you know, you're going to have to teach them that because ultimately children need to be protected. And the men who claim a female identity predate against women and children at exactly the same rates as men who don't claim a female identity. There's no, no change in that. And, and there are statistics on that. So when, you're talking to people, you're talking to children, and you need them to be able to tell the difference between men and women and um, not be confused at all, because this is super important. Absolutely. That's an excellent point. And, and the fact, as you mentioned, that, that, that the predation rate is the same, it is a justifiable concern. And if you're in any position of authority from parent to a supervisor at work, you are leading by example. And to some degree, there is a coercive nature of what you do where people, quote unquote, below you will line up in a certain way to appease you, whether it's a child to a parent or an employee to a boss. And, and so you owe it to yourself. You owe it to the person who's claiming to be the opposite sex. But again, I didn't really think of it that way. You owe it to the general community to offer people a baseline of reality and truth to work from and then they can people are free to make up their own minds from there but when you when you're consciously using the incorrect term you're you're really committing a, a, a violation of the social contract of the people around you because it's we, we need to have some agreement on what words mean and um, no, that's that's another excellent point so thank you so much for that I want to wrap up by bringing up something that we talked off air on. I sometimes like to ask guests, so, you know, someone like yourself who's been interviewed many times, in the course of those interviews, 
Is there a question you've never been asked that you wished you were asked, or is there a topic that never came up? And you gave me um, a general topic, and if, if you're comfortable with it, maybe we could wrap up on that, giving you the space here to share the thoughts on the issue that you mentioned to me in advance. Well, this is a topic that rarely gets addressed because there are so few LGB voices in this discussion. But that T being force teamed with the LGB, a lot of people who have these opposite sex ideations say, well, most people are gay after transition. So let's unpack that. Like if you say that people with this opposite sex ideation who LARP, which is live action role play as the opposite sex, are gay are you and belong with the LGB, are you saying that it's um, lesbians and gay men who, for whatever reason, either internalized homophobia, externalized homophobia, conditions like autism, personality disorders, trauma, sexual abuse, those are all reasons that contribute to these internalized feelings of being in the wrong body. So if they, if they medicalize to be the opposite sex or perform that opposite sex stereotype, then they're LARPing as straight people. So how are they gay when they've rejected the this whole idea that they are homosexual? They're they're now straight people. So so are they the gay people that we're talking about? I don't know. And then there's this whole other group of people, heterosexual men who take on a female identity, but they're still heterosexual men. So they claim to be lesbians or transbians, and they want to have sex with women, with lesbians, and be accepted in the lesbian community. Are they the gay people that LGB people want to accept? Or do you take these um, heterosexual women? Now, this is a big thing to the heterosexual men and the straight women who want to claim a gay male identity. So these women are heterosexual and they have all these fantasies about being gay men and having sex with gay men. And they're trying to get into the gay male communities and they're on the gay male dating apps and the men are on the lesbian dating apps and the lesbians can't screen out the men. It's not allowed. You're not allowed to filter out these men and the men are not allowed to filter out these women. They have to, you know, have these, you don't have to accept them, but they have to be there. And um, so are these the, the people that we have to accept as gay people? They're heterosexuals. And this is also another form of conversion therapy. So when you say that, that some of these T people are gay, like they're either people who have rejected homosexuality or heterosexuals who want to adopt this now cool gay identity. So, and these, a lot of them are the queers. So I could go. Uh, now that's, that's, it, it, it's a perfect place to wrap up because I introduced you as somebody who was an LGB activist, journalist, commentator, and you're speaking from that community in which you're saying, 
wait a second, if someone is gay and then suddenly now you're calling these people gay, what does gay even mean? And it, and like we just were discussing about the meanings of word where you owe it to yourself and to the people who are claiming to be gay and to the people in your community to, to ask these questions and whenever possible correct saying that, no, that this is a misuse of the word gay and it could be Correct me if I'm wrong. It's it's very willful in terms of the agenda and connecting the T with the LGB because if we if the if the casual um, American citizen just lumps the T in with the LG, LGB, the T agenda is succeeding. And so the it's it's um, calling anyone who calls themselves trans automatically gay has is accomplishing this insidious goal. Well, some of them want to be straight. Some of them want to be gay. Some of them want to be straight. But neither it's based in reality. They're trying to reframe same-sex attraction as same-gender attraction, mm -hmm. which is negates the whole basis of homosexuality, which is based on sex, just as heterosexual heterosexuality is based on sex. You don't. You're not attracted to somebody of the opposite sex because they claim that identity. <laughs> it's like, I think there's more to it than that. But, um, so. you know, that's why we say LGB drop the T because one of these things is not like the other. We have more in common with the S straight people than with the T. So it's really super LGBS at this point. If you wow. remember the super, the super movement. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So wrapping up, the people listening, they, they're they're listening to this very articulate um, explanation and, and someone with the expertise and the research and the life experience who can share a lot of important um, ideas and thoughts here. And they might say to themselves, all right, I get this. So what can I do even just in my everyday life um, to be someone that is challenging this agenda? And not demonizing someone that needs help, someone that, that, like you mentioned before, someone that went through trauma or child abuse, but challenging an agenda which is force teaming groups of people together that don't belong together. What, what could the average person do, just, just like in their everyday life, to, to be a, a force for good, for lack of a better phrase? Well, first of all, I think it's very, very hard. And the pushback is still a bit in the beginning stages. So what I would say to people is try to start these conversations with people you think might be open to them, your friends, before you branch out and be really bold. And, um, you know, maybe uh, it's going to be, it's going to be ugly, but try to look at non-mainstream sources for news. Stop expecting that the mainstream news is going to give you accurate information on transgenderism. So there's also the, I recommend Jennifer Billick's 11th hour blog. Um, oh, there's so many great things we can link underneath that will start to give you an idea of what is really going on. It's a really complex issue. People don't have opposite sex ideation all for one reason. For men, there's a really big sexual component. For women, there's, a, a, you know, a different reasons. So I think 
kind of start reading, watching YouTube videos, watch detransitioners. Those, they're the most excellent voices, the detransitioners. So I would say start um, thinking about these ideas and not feeling like you have to accept exactly what you've been told and finding a few trusted people, maybe strangers on social media who share your ideas on Facebook, Twitter. That's where I would start rather than trying to call people the correct sex at work or in social situations. That's, that's like not, 101 that's like yeah yeah i was about to say that's a phd there yeah 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 well i appreciate that very common sense advice and if you have any links that you want to send to me after we wrap up here um i will include them in the show notes and i am hoping to have jennifer bill on the show really soon too to continue this sense of 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 education for myself and all the listeners because as you just pointed out it's 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 something that it's incremental and you have to go out of your way to find these sources but when someone like yourself is has done the work it's really really valuable to hear what you have to say and to you know ask you well what what sources would you suggest so that's what i'm doing now if you anything you want to send me i'll include and thank you so much for taking time to talk and for all the important work you do and it's just so you just so um gently and articulately get these points across without without any of the the drama and hysterics that tend to go with this topic and for that i, I just really really deeply appreciate you and and thank you for being on the show Well, thanks, Mickey. It's been fun and call me anytime. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Quick correction. I gave the year 2001 as the start of Occupy Wall Street. Of course, I meant 2011. Anyway, I will be right back with a story of sorts to end this episode right after one more short word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z again. I trust you're enjoying this episode. And if so, I would really, really appreciate it if you would become a paid subscriber for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day. You can support this Substack and this podcast. Your help is essential and it's crucial. And it's you who keeps this project going and growing. So thank you for listening. Thank you in advance for becoming a paid subscriber. And please spread the word. And while you're at it, please check the show notes for a link to a really kick-ass post-woke t-shirt. The sales have been going up. People are out there showing off what their favorite podcast is. And now it's time for you to join the team. So once again, thank you in advance. And let's get back to the show. And we're back. And I want to tell you about two situations in my life that relate to the main topic of this episode 51 of Post Woke. The first was when I was very young, 14 years old. My older sister, who was 16 at the time, got permission from my parents to throw a Halloween party in our fourth floor, two-bedroom walk-up tenement apartment. And it turned out to be a smash. But initially, me and my crew thought we were way too cool to be a part of this. So we were out doing what 14-year-olds used to do 
on Halloween at that time. I don't know what kids do now. But so that meant going into a supermarket and each of us stealing a dozen eggs and then basically throwing the eggs at each other, at passersby, at houses, at whoever we felt like throwing eggs at. And also this strange practice of filling socks with chalk. And this had a dual purpose. If you hit a building or hit a person with it, it would mark them up because the chalk dust would come through this the sock. But also, if you were going after someone you didn't like, it hurt like hell to be hit by that. So we're doing that when we notice from down the block what appeared to be two young women walking towards us kind of shakily on high heels. Now, in my neighborhood at that time, there were... Um, blocks of prostituted women and, and I would assume teenagers um, on a regular basis. So it wasn't shocking. But as they got closer, we were surprised to see that it was two of the coolest guys in the older crew dressed as girls on their way to my sister's party. There was Eddie, who was 17, and a guy who um, we called Rat, R-A-T-T, who was 16. And they both had long hair to begin with. So they just were in sort of like um, very short, revealing dresses and high heels. And I even think they had makeup on. So we, at this point, we're like, oh, we're going to the party. So we cut ahead of them, went to my apartment and sort of warned everybody that the winner of the costume contest, the two winners were on their way. And it was a lot of fun to watch the reaction. I could still see people's faces and the noises of my parents were there too, just when Eddie and Rat walked into the room. Now, fast forward a million years later, and I was married at the time, and my ex-wife was and still is a pediatric physical therapist. And for her birthday one year, she threw a karaoke fundraiser to buy equipment for the nonprofit um, preschool she worked for. And this particular equipment was really empowering for kids who didn't have mobility. So she asked me, because I used to do talks all the time, to sort of MC the whole thing. And it was a blast. And we raised over $6,000. And it was just so satisfying. But at this event, um, this other woman, Mary, who worked with, with Michelle, my ex-wife, um, showed up with a can-can dress. And at one point, Mary came out wearing it. And we used it like people gave more money because she's doing the can-can. And then, of course, Michelle put it on because she was the birthday girl. And we raised money. And then they coerced me. And they didn't really need to coerce me to put it on. And that raised the most money because it was the most absurd. Because And I, if I can find a picture of this, I may include it in the show notes. So there I was in this red, reddish can-can dress. Now, I bring up these two stories, and you might be sort of seeing my point here, is that no one, no one at that Halloween party or at that fundraiser thought for a millisecond that Eddie, Rat, or me were women. Because... At this time period, one was a long time ago, one wasn't that long ago, people still were thinking clearly and recognized that woman is not a costume that a man can try on. Female is not a phase or a feeling. Somewhere along the line, though, this simple biological reality has been willfully obscured and hijacked. But the deception falls apart as swiftly as the emperor with no clothes if you simply name what you see. Rosa Luxemburg once said, the most revolutionary thing one can do is always proclaim loudly what is happening. I urge you to pro 
proclaim loudly what is happening and never stop until it stops. I urge you to not be coerced into believing and endorsing a delusion, a dangerous delusion. In other words, I urge you to keep your guard up.